This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, where you can meet like-minded people fighting for a new vision of aging. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby Zneimer. With a survey indicating half of all Canadians say the pandemics affected their mental health, the road to better health does not always lead to a therapist's office. A growing number of counselors offer nature-based therapy. Joining us will be one who's seen a 75% jump in inquiries. And pandemic or not, spring cleaning is not only done outdoors, but in a lot of cases inside, especially if one's looking to move in this hot market. We'll hear from an expert who says, don't think purging and organizing can be pulled off quickly like on those home improvement shows. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The process of creating new standards for long-term care launched this week, and the public's being asked to weigh in. Over the coming months, a committee of researchers, residents, and family members will be recruited for virtual town halls. Anyone who wants to share their views can fill out an online survey. Toronto geriatrician Dr. Samir Sinha, a frequent guest on Zoomer Radio's Fightback, who leads this committee, says... Everything's on the table. By November, a series of draft standards should be ready for public review. Currently, only two-thirds of Canada's long-term care homes are accredited according to existing standards. The U of T's Dr. Daniel Drucker is sharing an international award for helping to revolutionize treatments for type 2 diabetes, obesity, and intestinal disorders. He and colleagues from Harvard and the University of Copenhagen have won an international award recognizing 40 years of independent and collaborative research on hormones in the gut that help control blood sugar. Hoboken, New Jersey prides itself on being a pedestrian-friendly city, and with good reason. Vision Zero is having huge success where zero pedestrian deaths have been reported there the past three years. Across the Hudson River from New York City, Hoboken expanded the bike lane network for a total on-street network of over 26 kilometers, or nearly half all the city's streets. Toronto launched its Vision Zero plan back in 2016. It's just a matter of uh, making myself feel good and also others who belong to my church. So that's why I started that post. 82-year-old Dr. Laverne Ford Wimberly of Oklahoma has gone viral for something many of us don't do during the pandemic. While most of us have made the switch to sweats while working from home, Laverne still gets dressed up while attending virtual church service each Sunday over the past year. And the retired school principal posts her fancy, colorful outfits and matching hats on Facebook, where she's been inundated with new friend requests. She's worn over 50 outfits for virtual services to become a bit of a celebrity for refusing to keep it casual. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. 
Half of all Canadians now say COVID-19's impacted their mental health. A recent survey finds for women, it's 6 in 10, jumping to 7 in 10 for those aged 18 to 24, as the current stay-at-home order has some wondering just when will this pandemic end. This has led many to reach out for or consider mental health support. And with so many taking long walks, more and more counselors are offering nature-based sessions. Among them, Adrian Jurek of Vancouver Walk and Talk Therapy. How busy are you these days over the past year? I am getting increasingly busy. Uh, things have really picked up since January. And I'm now at the point where I'm receiving calls uh, almost on a daily basis uh, from people who are interested in, uh, in going on a walk and talk. I am probably spending 12 to 18 hours every week with clients. And before the pandemic, what would you have been doing? Um, I had just started the practice. Um, I was probably seeing an order in something in the range of five, five to seven clients a week. I was just starting up the practice in the fall, just before the pandemic. And in the midst of uh, COVID, did you anticipate that things were going to get busier for you? Are you at all surprised? Uh, not really. I'm not really surprised. As soon as I discovered that a lot of therapists were having to close their offices, um, a lot of mental health services were closing their physical sites. As soon as I learned that that was happening um, to everybody, including myself, um, I anticipated very shortly after that there would be an uptick um, in, uh, in calls. Is this something that came before the pandemic? Definitely. I've been doing it for years. I've been doing it uh, really since I came to BC in, in 2008. It's something that originated, it started, in my case, it started with working with kids um, in, the, uh, in the school system in Squamish, BC. I, I began the practice about a year before COVID, um, COVID began, uh, and it was quite, quite popular then. But since COVID, of course, it's, uh, it's, quite, it's taken off. It's really gained in popularity. With people, especially with people um, who have concerns about being in enclosed office spaces at this time, it's uh, it's become quite popular with them and uh, and with people who are spending far too much time on the screen. They're uh, they're discovering that they can get out for a walk and get some fresh air and um, and talk about things that are that are uh, concerning them as well. You started with students, as you said, years ago. And at what point did you kind of make the switch or concentrate more so with adults? I began leading wellness retreats um, for adults in in, uh, in midlife for people undergoing life transitions. I began doing that uh, up in the uh, the coastal rainforest area at retreat centers, and used it as a as a youth walking in the forest with these small groups as a means of, of catalyzing and exploring uh, through the landscape. Some of the things that were going on and changing uh, in these people who were mid career and were were wondering what was next, and so walking seemed to really stimulate the thought process. It really seemed to, to, to get them thinking and moving and open them to, to new possibilities in the way that sitting still didn't seem to work. So we go from midlife crisis, this is what you were dealing with, to now a life crisis for many with COVID. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. Um, there are a lot of people who are now reaching out to um, with uh, with uh, with anxiety um, that's related to to career, of course, but that's related to family and lots of other areas. Uh, so it, it really has is you know is broadened. It's no longer people who are reaching out to specifically to explore uh, midlife concerns, but but people I've you know I'm, I'm working with people as young as 16, 17, 18, um, 
and people as old as is in their mid seventies. Uh, so they're a broad spectrum of people with a broad range of, uh, of concerns right now. Why do you think walk and talk therapy is becoming, I guess, more popular and why does it work? Uh, it's becoming more popular now, I think, for the for the reason that some people, uh, they're discovering that they need to get out and get moving. They're, they've had to spend a lot of time indoors of necessity uh, during the course of the pandemic, and they've discovered that they really do feel better um, when they're on the move. There's something about the activity of moving. We don't quite understand the science of it. Uh, we sim- we simply know that the activity of, of moving seems to free free up thinking, uh, it clears thinking, and it gets it gets, pe- gets people sort of moving internally and externally in a way that uh, they, it just makes them feel good. Um, and I think that's another reason that people uh, are approaching this walk-and-talk therapy model. They recognize that, um, that times in their past, in their lives, when they were kids, let's say, they just remember having felt really good being outside and, and moving in the outdoors. So it's in some ways, for a lot of people, it's a return to something that their bodies already remember and they already know. Um, and it's it's a, it's a, they're coming full circle in lots of ways when they come to me. So a feeling of freedom, not only in terms of physically, but also emotionally, being able to to open up more so than in an office in confined quarters. Yes. Yes. Again. Um, it's it's something. There's something about the, the activity of moving, moving across the landscape, um, that uh, that does seem to be freeing. It does seem to open them up to what they're feeling, to what they're thinking. It seems to be a way of metabolizing uh, thoughts and feelings and experiences, and it seems to work in tandem with the activity of walking. Uh, it's been studied uh, extensively at Stanford uh, by some researchers there, and um, and they've discovered. Uh, over several the course of several studies, they've discovered that um, you know not only does it reduce blood pressure and and anxiety and, and it does it clear thinking, but it improves memory and, and concentration and work satisfaction, and the ability to focus. Um, so there's something about it. Uh, they, they're not able to quite explain it beyond those terms, but the results are are consistent. Um, it just seems to do something that. Uh, it makes people feel relaxed and and hopeful and, um, and and look forward to their lives. Do you see walk and talk therapy becoming more the norm post pandemic? I do, I do, I do notice it becoming more popular now, and I see it becoming increasingly more increasingly popular as as time goes on. Uh, people have discovered that we don't need to adhere to an old stereotypical. Uh, view about what therapy looks like, that it has to take place inside some office. Um, they now understand, um, many people have, have discovered the therapeutic benefit just from walking with a friend in the outdoors. And they've discovered, um, almost again, because of the pandemic, that moving is, is it just inherently makes you feel better. Um, and I anticipate that, um, that people will continue not only the practice of, of doing that, uh, doing the, the walk and talk with friends, but also then seeking out that form of practicing uh, with, with professionals as well. Adrian Jurek, thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome. That was Adrian Jurek of Vancouver's Walk and Talk Therapy. I'm Bob Comsick, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up... Some expert tips to help those itching to purge and organize, whether one's looking to move or staying put. 
You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, offering members-only discounts that can save you thousands of dollars a year. Find out more at carp.ca. Spring is not only when homeowners have to clean up their yards and gardens, it's also the time some get the urge to purge and organize their place. It doesn't matter whether one's looking to prepare to possibly downsize in this hot market or stay put. Organizing and moving expert Kathy McEwen of Second Set of Hands is here to help. What's the first thing they should have in mind before they think they've got to do this all at once? One of the first things that I would recommend is that they actually do the purging and decluttering before they move because a lot of times what people do is they'll end up thinking, I don't have time to do it or I don't have the energy to do it, and then they end up having to pay for it to be packed up and to be moved, and then it's at their new house, and then they need to unpack it all, and then they go through the items because they don't want them or they don't have the room for them. So my advice is don't wait too long to do that. Don't wait until you have to bring it with you. Instead, focus on as soon as you know you want to sell. Even if you're selling in a year from now or two years from now, you can start that process of going through your items to decide if you want to keep them or not. Let's go into their homes right now. You and me, and they're listening. There might be somebody listening who's considering making a move, but they know they've got something to take care of in their home. So let's start. Let's help them. What's the first thing they should do? Uh, the first thing they should do is like when they're going through their items, just do you, you mean when they're going through their items to decide what to keep and what not? Yes. That's the very first thing they need to do. So if when they're going through their items, if there's stuff that can be donatable, then by all means start packing them up for donations. Now, um, a lot of places are not taking donations due to COVID, but there are still some that are. So do your research to see where you can drop these items off and um, who's allowing what to come in and get rid of what you don't need. So that's the first process is making a plan and action on what you don't want anymore and how can you let it go before you move. How do you make that decision whether to take it or let it go? <laughs> that is a tough question and there's so many reasons why we tend to keep on our, keep a hold of our items. Sometimes it's sentimental reasons, sometimes it's you know, they think it's worth a lot of money when it may not be. There's so many reasons why we came for it. It was a gift. Sometimes it's a gift from somebody and they feel like they can't let it go because it's a gift. So my advice is that to ask yourself certain questions before you let it go. One, for example, is if it was a gift from you, from somebody, and you gave that person a gift, do you expect them to keep that gift for the rest of their lives? Probably not. Like you can't, nobody can keep every gift that they get. So they probably don't mind if you don't keep it either. So it's something to keep in mind that letting go, if it's a gift, it's still okay because they probably don't expect you to keep it anyways. And then there's, you know, those sentimental reasons that you keep onto it. and Or sometimes people keep it because they paid for it. But there's high cost of having too much stuff, so you have to think of that cost as well. So there's, there's actually many different ways that you can learn to let go if you're having a hard time to let things go. Any other tips for letting go? Because that tug of war between the heart and the head, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes it's a standoff and it takes so long to come to terms with what, what to do. Yeah, so there's certain questions that you can ask yourself. Uh, one of them I ask is, would I buy this item today? And a lot of times when I'm working with clients that 
I would pick something up and say, would you buy this today? It might be a picture that they have in their basement that's in the storage room that they haven't hung in a long time. And they'll say no. Well, then if you wouldn't buy it today, then you probably don't want it. So it's a good idea to let it go. And then another one, too, that they can ask themselves is, is there a similar item that I could use instead? Like, if I let this go, can I use something else in its place? So, for example, clothes. You know, can I let this black tank top go? Well, yeah, because you still have four other black tank tops that you could probably use in its place. So, there's these type of questions that you can ask. And, like, what is the worst thing that you could that could happen if you did let it go? Like, what is the worst possible thing? A lot of times it's not that bad of a thing. If you let it go, if it's something that doesn't cost that much, maybe you would buy another one, but you've let 50 other items go. And you only need maybe that one item that you need to get again, or you could borrow one maybe from a friend. So there's a lot of ways that you can uh, let items go for sure. What's one of the biggest mistakes people make? One of the biggest mistakes they make is they go out sometimes and buy a bunch of home organizing products with all intentions of using them, but they don't know how. And they may not need them. So before you actually start organizing what you are keeping, go through and declutter because you may not even need those organizing products. That's one, one thing that I notice. Another problem, too, is that sometimes people think that they could just organize what they have uh, and it'll look fine, but if there's too many items, you can only organize so much, so it's not going to look good. You just If you have too many items for the space that you have, you're not going to be able to organize it very well. Like it's going to have to be, some things will have to go in order to have it organized well. So that's two things that I find are common among people. They sometimes think you can just come in and magically organize it, which we could do and make it will make a difference, but it may not be as good as if you were to let some things go first. What about the pressure that people maybe put on themselves to think it has to be done like on TV within <laughs> an hour? <laughs> yeah, you know, that's a really good question. And no, it, it takes time. It It is actually very time-consuming going through your items to decide which you want to keep, which you don't, and organizing. It's extremely time-consuming. So I always say don't worry about the big project. Your whole house maybe needs it. Just focus on something small. Do a drawer. Do, um, I don't know, maybe your kitchen counter. Do something that you can do that you're going to see results right away, and you're going to feel so much better when you see results. So don't focus on the whole big picture. Just focus on one small area at a time. If you focus on 20 minutes a day and do something for 20 minutes a day, that ends up being over two hours a week. So if you don't have a two-hour stretch or have the energy to work organizing your home for over two hours in a day, then just try to do 20 minutes a day and get something done. Kathy McEwen, Second Set of Hands, thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. That was organizing and moving specialist Kathy McEwen, owner of Second Set of Hands. For more information, check out her website, secondsetofhands.ca. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby's Nimer. Thanks for joining me. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Huddy, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.